You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, long distance, here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing? Well, you old goat, where are you now? You know what? We had we left and we traveled from pretty much the Oregon Trail, uh-huh. from the Snake River in central Idaho, there where we live, uh-huh. right up through Boise, through Oregon, along the Columbia, and I'm not too far south of Fort Astoria, and uh, you know, it's just kind of neat to travel the old Oregon Trail somewhat. Oh, those of us in our society that have the ways and the means and the blank checkbook can do whatever they wish. <laughs> well, uh, my wife loves the Oregon coast. Okay. So that's where we're at. Well, now, all that being said, you are not in my studio today. You are somewhere out in the hinterland, but still, we're going to have a great historical and sometimes hysterical review. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to go back into the land of your birth, somewhat. Oh. Okay. Wisconsin and Minnesota and that area. Really? So, uh, and you and you know, this is probably about when you were born. You know, so uh, I think this will be interesting. Okay. So, you know, in the early 1600s, uh-huh. as fur trappers and French explorers from Canada pushed farther west through the dense forests of what uh, are now Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, they began to send back pretty startling reports about a tribe of wild white Indians with blonde hair and blue eyes. And they kind of ruled the northern plains. Now, have you heard of these people, Zeb? You know what? I'm sitting here with kind of a blank stare on my face. Uh, I did not know of a so-called Indian tribe with blonde hair and blue eyes. I know all about that country very well, about the Indian tribes in Minnesota and Wisconsin, but you got me on this one. All right, well, we'll keep going here. These white Indians, the Frenchmen reported, were very tall, well-built, powerful. They were courageous. They were armed with huge stone, what they called skull crushers, which were attached to the ends of flexible leather thongs about 10 feet long, and they could swing and crack a skull with pretty deadly accuracy. They had the neighboring other Indian tribes completely terrorized, and even the ferocious Sioux were afraid of them. Now, more astonishing than anything else, the Frenchmen reported were the women who were fair-skinned, long blonde braids, blue eyes, exceedingly beautiful, very clever. Um, The famous French explorer Champlain wrote in his diary in 1650, now that's a long time ago, that he had been so intrigued by the stories he'd heard about these Indians, uh, and these are the Mandan Indians. I know you've heard of those. Oh, I have, yeah. And someday he hoped to visit them and stay with them for a while, 
1632, the French explorer by the name of Lejeune noted in his diary that some friendly Algonquins had told him a fascinating story about a tribe of white, fair-haired Indians who lived in wooden houses and towns actually resembling those of Europeans. Hmm. He also wrote that someday he hoped to investigate those people and learn something about their history. And that's where we're headed. Oh, my. As more and more fur trappers and mountain men began to explore the rivers and the mountains and the territory, these astonishing tales just got more and more. And uh, anyway, they reported that the tribe spoke a peculiar Sioux dialect, but it was interspersed with Scandinavian words. Hmm. And that many answered to Northern European names like Magnus and Murdoch. Hmm. You don't hear those names generally among Indian tribes. No. But in 1738, the French governor of Canada commissioned a guy by the name of De La Verandry. Now, I'm just, I'm guessing at that pronunciation, but anyway, he had him outfit an exploration party to visit the Mandans and solve the mystery. Well, after weeks of tramping through the dense forests, fording rivers and streams and avoiding the hostile Indians, this Verandry guy and his party of 30 men approached a Mandan village on the banks of the Missouri. Now, they were pretty much impressed to find the village surrounded by a tall log palisade for protection. All around the wooden wall, the valley was neatly tilled and planted with corn, tobacco, beans, squash, melons. I mean, it was a, really a very nice place. So the explorers were immediately surrounded by a great throng of these Mandan Indians, uh, and they were expressing great joy and excitement at being visited by other white men. About one-fifth of the Indians had white skin, blonde hair, and blue eyes. Wow. Now, this Verandria guy and his party, after <clears throat> presenting their, uh, the Indians with gifts and trinkets, they were escorted from village to village in the Dakotas and back through Minnesota. The Frenchman returned convinced that these Indians had an altogether different origin from any other tribe he had ever met. Now, although they spoke a language similar to that of the Sioux and seemed to have derived uh, from the Sioux, they were not hunters. They didn't hunt and did not possess, uh, I guess, if you want to call it the savagery of some of the other Indian tribes. They never put on war paint. They were simply a peaceful people living uh, primarily with agriculture. Now, they did trade farm products for buffalo hides and meat, uh, and the Sioux highly respected them. So that kind of gives you an idea uh, that these guys were ferocious when they needed to be. Uh, now, marauding bands who occasionally drifted into the area avoided the white Indians because they had learned that when it came to battle, the Mandans, welding their huge club-like skull crackers, were pretty fierce at hand-to-hand fighting. And they were known to be relentless pursuers who, who after battle, they would stalk their attackers and they'd go way into enemy territory and wouldn't turn back until uh, they'd uh, accomplished what they needed to do with their skull crackers. Now, this Verandriga also noticed that the Mandans differed from the Sioux in their respect for an enemy that they killed in battle. Now, the Sioux would sometimes cut off the fingers of the left hand and they would make little necklaces out of them as a war trophy. Hmm. Now the Mandans, they were terrified. They didn't. They thought this was a bad thing, and uh, so they actually buried their dead foes with full honors. Now the Mandan houses were usually clustered in the center of the village and were built of logs, 
They actually had rooms separated by walls. The sleeping quarters were apart from the living and eating quarters. And the Verandry guys agreed that in many respects, their houses were a lot like those in the Scandinavian countries. Okay, now I like this story, Zeb, because it's taken actually from the diary of some of these men that were actually explored there. So okay. uh, in his diary, this Frenchman wrote, quote, This tribe is partly white and partly red-skinned. The women are extremely beautiful, especially those who are white, some of whom have lovely fair hair. Both men and women are very industrious. Their lodges are big and spacious. Nothing is left uh, lying around. Uh, all objects are placed in large bags suspended from posts. The men are tall, strong, courageous. They are very active and of good appearance with pleasant features. The women do not look in the least like a, a, a normal Indian. But for many years thereafter, the Mandan villages became a, a favorite stopping off place for the French fur trappers and American mountain men. And uh, many of these guys were so fascinated by the pleasant life and the beauty of the women that they married into the tribe. Hmm. So, you know, uh, they, they liked what they saw. Well, <laughs> in 1804, in the midst of a blinding snowstorm, the Lewis and Clark expedition, they were lost, they were starving, they were almost frozen to death. They stumbled into a Mandan village, and there, of course, they were immediately welcomed by the tribe and spent a good winter in the comfort of warmth of their log homes. And in the spring, there was a chief by the name of Shahaka, or Big White, uh, as a gesture of friendship for the other white men, uh, guided the expedition partway up the Missouri and then uh, said goodbye to them. And, of course, we know from Lewis and Clark's journals that on their return trip, they again stopped off at the Mandan village and persuaded this chief, Big White, who was also fair-haired and had white skin, to go back east with them. Now, sometimes that didn't work out very good, but this one did. Uh -huh. uh, upon their arrival in Washington, D.C., President Jefferson asked Chief Big White to visit him. Uh, the chief then toured some of the eastern cities. And anyway, he returned home, and for many years after that, the Missouri Fur Company enjoyed exclusive trading rights with the Mandans, and that was through Wisconsin, Minnesota, and the Dakotas. Now, in 1835, there was a guy by the name of George Catlin. Now, this guy was a famous American artist who traveled freely among all the wild tribes of the West and painted them. Well, he accidentally came across the Mandans, and in pure astonishment, he wrote, quote, A stranger is first struck by the different shades of complexion and various colors of hair which he sees among this crowd of Indians. And he's, you know, you're almost wants to say, well, these are not Indians. Well, there are a great many of these people, he goes on to say, whose complexions appear as light as anything. And amongst the women, particularly, there are many whose skins are almost white with the most pleasing, and he says, symmetry and proportion of features uh, with hazel, with gray and with blue eyes, mildness and sweetness of expression. Uh, excessive modesty of demeanor, which rendered them exceedingly pleasing and beautiful. Now, that's what this George Catlin is quoted as saying. And, in fact, he goes on to say, the Mandans are certainly a very interesting and pleasing people in their personal appearance and manners, differing in many respects, both in looks and customs, from all other tribes which I have seen. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, this guy's traveled through a whole bunch of uh, western part of the United States, and so he'd be a pretty good expert. Okay. So, anyway, uh, you know, the the, uh, the Indians uh, uh, had these nice lodges, uh, 
they advanced in their arts, their manufacture. Uh, they were just an amazing group of people. Uh, and this Catlin guy figures that they must have come from, they had to be some other source as to what's going on here. But anyway, soon after George Catlin visited the Mandans, the first wave of land-hungry settlers started to push through the Ohio Valley, and you can probably tell what's coming. And up to Missouri, they brought with them uh, the uh, traders, the whiskey peddlers, the outlaws, the gamblers, the thieves. And the fur companies now in open competition with others began to exploit the Indians, and the Mandans found themselves being robbed, cheated, um, and unfortunately a favorite trick of some of the company was to get the Indians drunk and after the Indians had kind of been run out and one thing or another, uh, they would steal their furs. And in one year alone, it is estimated that 22,000 gallons of whiskey was distributed free to the native Indians. And, uh, of course, they stole their furs. Um, but the Mandans in 1837 were preparing to take up arms and to protect themselves when suddenly a severe smallpox epidemic hit the first village. Uh oh Well, hundreds of men, women, and children lay dying in agony. Those who were able to fled the neighboring Mandan villages in the hopes of escaping the disease. Well, instead, they merely spread it. And families fled in panic from one village to another. And within one brief year, the Mandan population of about 1,800 was reduced to 23 men, 40 women, and 60 to 70 children. Oh, my goodness. And we know that this happened throughout the West because they didn't have any resistance to these diseases. So I'm kind of going on here, Zeb. I can't hear if you want to uh, say anything. Well, I tell you what I would like to do. I think we have a caller with a question for you, and we're down to the last four minutes. So, caller, quickly, go ahead, please. The whole history of the Mandan said that a white man came walking into their village about... Uh, year 1000, thereabouts. And there were five princesses that mated with him, and he moved on. And they figure he was probably one of Leif Erikson's or Eric the Red's people trying to go home, going west. Yeah. And also, it is still tradition up there that they are a white race. You know, and I've heard that, too, and I was going to comment on that. Doc, thank you for that point. Uh, Dr. History, I was going to bring up the fact that I had heard the Norsemen and Leif Erikson and the other Vikings, if you will, coming into that area had basically stimulated that race and that tribe called the Mandans. What, what's the history behind that before we wrap it up this morning? Okay. They found a stone in, uh, when was it, uh... Oh, um, they found a stone called the Kensington Stone, and they figure it was written in 1362. And on this stone, it says, quote, We have ten of our party by the sea to look after our ships. Fourteen days' journey from this island. So this was a Viking inscription, And uh, but what were the Vikings doing in central Minnesota, hundreds of miles from the coast? Well, this was a small party who had become lost, maybe, uh, aimlessly wandering around, or they may have been part of a bigger expedition. But the experts figured that this was a Viking group of men. Right. Uh, what the other guy said just now about one person, that could have been it. But this Kensington stone was discovered and dated to precisely 
1362. All right, now where where was that? One thing, another. Uh, they they figured that that was from Viking explorers right. that had joined the Mandans and stayed with them long enough to uh, have children. Of course, of with white or I mean blonde hair, blue eyes, and so that's that's another explanation of the Mandan Indians. Uh, culture okay now let me ask you doc where was exactly the kensington stone found i know a little bit about that but where was the exact location um let's see at the smithsonian institute um i'm not sure it was uh, i'd have to look and see exactly where it was uh, found. Okay. I'm not sure. I'd have to uh, I, do some research. I thought... It was found up in that area among where the Mandans were living. Right. I, I, I thought think. I thought for a minute, and we've got a bad connection here. I know you can't hear me sometime, and I'm down to the last couple of minutes, but I thought it was found over by the Great Lakes, over by Lake Michigan, but I could be wrong. Uh, check that out. We've got another caller with a quick question. Go ahead, caller. You're on the air real fast. Yeah, I guess this uh, disproves the Columbus fairy tale, and I never heard about this in any history class in the schools I went to. Oh, yes, you surely should have. Yeah, we should have, but... This is the first I've heard of that. Uh, they, they've even named, as uh, Dr. History can well attest, Mandan, North Dakota. Isn't that correct, Dr. History? I believe so. Yes. But, you know, if, if you read about the Vikings and their ships, they, they explored a lot of territory. Yes. And it makes sense that maybe some of them got left behind or uh, got lost. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah I, and according to, like I said, this Kensington Stone year 1362 written in uh the viking language i guess if you want to call mm-hmm. it that right well listen uh do some research on that because you know that area i know quite a bit about uh studying at the university of wisconsin and the university of minnesota and uh i'd like to talk to you more a little bit about that next week speaking of next week quickly i'm almost out of time uh where on your journey of here there and everywhere are you going to be i think we might be in st george (laughs) oh my and so, I have about 10 seconds here. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, in 1930, there was a guy that found uh, something hard and metal, and he uh, got some dynamite, blew it up, and when the rubble cleared, he found a, right, a Viking grave complete with sword, battle axe, hand grip, and shield, uh, and museum authorities carefully removed them and definitely dating back hundreds of years. And since that time, there's been nine other finds from Minnesota and Michigan to Massachusetts of Viking burials and artifacts. And that's one of the big reasons why the Vikings have never won the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe they needed to practice more. I don't know. All right. Hey, Doctor, have a great time on your tour. Have a great time with your family. And God bless you, and thanks for calling in this morning. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.